to us. And there was this one common thread around every conversation, around that time. And these speak to the window in the street corner, where these speak to a, a mom who's busy bringing up her children at home, or you speak to some corporate businessman, businesswoman in their suits in air-conditioned conference rooms. The one common denominator, one common thread in every conversation was love or peace. And I don't know about you, whether you've been through war, whether you've been through the, the horrible times of war, with its destruction, its loss, or whether you've just wondered, oh Lord, I don't know where my bread is coming tomorrow. You, you're battling with the insecurity of your job or not certain about your finances for tomorrow, whatever it is, whatever your war today is, I can guarantee you that that heart's cry that we all hear today is still, I want peace. And so today I'm, I'm actually sharing about a man who found himself in much the same situation and he had a cry for peace in his heart. But um, he came to an amazing revelation. We'll explore that a little bit, unpack that a little but Gideon, son of Joash, came to this amazing revelation. The Lord is peace. That's a beautiful revelation. It's not the Lord will give you peace. It's not the Lord will bring you peace. It's not the Lord will speak peace into your situation. The Lord is peace. He is the very epitome of peace. And in the midst of your storm, He's the one you run to. He's the one who is peace. And, and not sure if you recognize, uh, we've been chatting about this in the morning, that Hebrew connotation, the importance of a name, because the name was not just just a handle. So, so in, in Hebrew terminology, if you, for us, we'd look at a pencil and say, well, that's a pencil. But in Hebrew language, it would be, that's a writing thing. It describes its function, and so the names of God were important, and then it says, the Lord is peace. It describes something of who God is, His nature. And that's what we're going to unpack. We are spending some time in the book of Judges. And we're starting from verse 11 in chapter 6. If I can get my notes going, that would be great. Be helpful too. Beautiful. Okay, so chapter bit of scripture. So I'm just going to break it down a little bit for you, and we'll take it piece by piece. In my closing eyes, and we'll just pray and give this into the Lord's hands, and then we'll see what the Lord has for us. Father, we are just amazed at your word, amazed at your goodness, amazed at what you just show us, Lord. And I pray, Lord, for us today, that this word comes alive. Lord, will you not take your word today and just make, make it leap out of the pages into our lives, Lord. Let it be three-dimensional. Let it just stir us, encourage us. Lord, uh, we, we are stoked by the idea that you are peace and in, in, the midst, in the midst of a world that desperately craves peace, craves rest, Lord. You are that. And so I pray, Lord, that as we spend some time in this, Lord, that you just speak to our hearts. Break into our lives, Lord. We, we open our hearts to you. Lord, we give you full permission. You are sovereign in our midst, Lord. And I say today, for myself, and if this is your prayer, you can echo this in your own heart. I'm saying, Lord, here I am. Take me. Do with me whatever you will. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. And uh, here's an interesting thing. Verse 11 starts like this. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebin tree at Oprah. And uh, just something quite unusual in the city. But for Gideon, not unusual. He's out in the countryside and uh, to encounter a man just sitting under a tree was not a big deal. It says here that he sat on the tree which belonged to Jerusalem at Brizite while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. And there's two things that this one this single verse of scripture shows me two things. And the first one is this. The first one is that God will often encounter us in the day-to-day, in the midst of normal, everyday life. And if you're, if you're like me, right, we have those focused moments when we, when we are determined to press into God. Perhaps it's in your devotional time in the morning. Perhaps it's on a Friday in church. Those moments when they're just so focused, Lord, I'm just going to press into you and you're, you're expecting God to reveal Himself. You're expecting God to speak into your heart. But the problem is that we often are so focused on those that we forget that God is God. He's sovereign and He can break into your life, He can break into your life and into your circumstances at any time. And if we are so set on seeing and hearing God only in a particular way, in a way that we are familiar with, or in a way that we expect God to respond to, we might well miss the voice of God if it comes in an unexpected way. If God speaks to you in a way that you're not familiar with, would you recognize the voice of God? Because this is not something that was normal. Here's a man who's hiding. Here's a man who's beating out wheat in a wine press. And God breaks into it. So that's the first and key thing for me is that, folks, we, we must realize that God wants to break into the everyday moments of our lives. Not just the special moments, as it were. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I love the focused moments. I love the Fridays. And, and I've said it over and over again. I get excited on a Friday. I get to come here. I get to meet a great bunch of people. I get free coffee. And, uh, and, uh, and I like my free coffee, particularly the free part of it. And, uh, and if you're like me, it excites you. Not the free coffee, just coming to the house of the Lord and being with a great bunch of people. Because this is family. I love those quiet moments, particularly when there's no one in my home. My, my kids have grown up, and uh, my daughter and my grandson, they live across the road from me, and they come visiting often. Johnny, where are you? Get the hint, he's around here somewhere. That's my son-in-law who led us in worship. But he comes home, and there's 10 minutes later, I'm like, guys, I think you should leave now. I like my quiet. When no one's in the house, I just, I just go, I take a shower, I remove my shoes, and not because there's something spectacular about it, but it's just me. And I grab my guitar, and I just worship God. But if I only live for that, where do I allow God's space in the day-to-day things? Now, we've been sensitive to the voice of God and recognize that He can break into our lives anytime. Because that's God. And we are called to live with that awareness. We are called to live in that space of saying, Lord, I'm ready for you now. Here, in my workplace, during my lunch hour, while I'm filling up the gas tank in the car, while I'm busy doing my shopping, while I'm engaged paying my bills, God can break in any time. And I need to be ready for that. Paul writes to the Thessalonian church, and this is how he puts it, this thing of 
God awareness, as he, when he says it like this to Thessalonians church, he says this, rejoice always. Not just on a Friday. Not just when things are looking good. Not just when you got that bonus check. Rejoice always. Pray without reason. Give thanks in all circumstances. And I don't know about you, but in this language, I don't see a special time set aside for God. I see an awareness of the presence of God in every day, every aspect, every moment of my life. And I'm called to live in that moment of being aware of God's presence. And the beautiful thing is, in case you are like quite a few people who come to me and say, oh, I am desperately looking for the will of God in my life. Read the next part of that. It says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And if anyone ever asks you, what is God's will for your life? Just point them to this. That's God's will for your life. That's the general will of God for everyone, for all of us. Yes, there is a specific will of God for your life. You're unique. You're built unique, you're created unique, and we will unpack that a little as we look at the life of Gideon. The second thing, this was really important to me, that the nature of our circumstances does not preclude God from breaking in. Neither does the nature of our circumstances preclude God from placing a call upon your life. He can call you to something unique something specific at any time. Now the question is, how do we respond to that? We have two choices. We can say, Lord, right now is not convenient. Or we can say, Lord, maybe tomorrow. Or we can say, Lord, yes. But you know what? Gideon did neither one. He thought, let me check this out. Let me test this. And we'll explore that a little more. But the thing is that when God was calling Gideon, right, where was he? He was hiding. At that point, just to give you a little context, a little background, the Israelites had been tormented, as it were, by the Midianites for seven years. Scripture says that God had given Israel into the hands of the Midianites. So these guys were so, so nasty, so bad, the scripture describes them as locusts who would devour everything in their path. So whenever the Israelites, when it was harvest time, they'd, they'd spend time, they spent energy, they've grown their crops, they killed the land, they've done everything, they've, they've raised their cattle, they've had the new sheep, the new cows, the new goats, the new whatever. Harvest time, the Midianites would come and they'd devour everything. they just take it all. Can you imagine living like that, life like that for seven years where you work hard and think about it like this. Imagine for you, you work hard all month, payday comes and somebody takes your salary for seven years. I mean, I, I know a few people who are married who are like this. They work hard, they go home and the wife takes the salary. Or the other way around, it can, it can happen both ways. And, uh, and there's scripture precedence for that, you know. It's like the story of the boxer. I'm not sure if I've shared it with you. The guy trains hard, works hard, fights, and he gets battered, he gets bruised. He has done all the hard work, and then he wins the fight. He grabs the purse, and he goes home, a conqueror. When he goes home, his wife takes that purse. And scripture says that she's more than a conqueror. That one's for free, for those of you that have run for me. 
right there. I'm just taking you here away. And I see a few of us off. But here's the thing. When God calls, He's got an agenda. And why I talked about the circumstances that faced Gideon was, if I were to put myself in that situation, I'd be saying, Lord, why didn't you deliver me? I want peace in my life. Why didn't you save me? Save my household, save my work, protect me. But God was there with a bigger agenda. He's heard the cry of Israel after seven years. They finally turned back to God. And now God's ready. And he says to Gideon, buddy, I have a job for you. You've got to deliver Israel. He's thinking about the man. God's thinking about the nation. And I don't know about you, but would you agree with me? Because this is what I believe, that God's vision is far wider than mine. It's much larger than mine. I rarely can think beyond my nose. God's got eternity in mind. And when He steps into a situation, He's got a plan and He might need you for that. And sometimes we've got to let go of our agendas and say, Lord, I know I want my peace, but hey, if this is what you're busy doing. And can I, if you look at the story of Jesus, uh, Gideon, look at it. Didn't He lose out on this? He didn't lose out on this deal. He got what He needed simply by being obedient. He could have said, Lord, why don't you still solve my problem? I'm hiding here. So my problem, then let's talk about the nation. But no, God says, I'm busy with the nation. You're a part of it. You need to get stuck into what God is busy doing. And in that process, we find what God has for us. But very often, we can say, Lord, well, let me, let me do this first. Let me save a little money. Let me build a little nest egg. Let me get my kids to college. And perhaps it's that thing of you know, God, God calls you and you're a teenager and you say, Lord, you know, can we do this tomorrow? Oh, the raging. I, I'm still right. I've got to finish my college and there's this cute girl down the road. And, uh, let me get those things sorted out and then, then I'll come serve you. And so perhaps God in His mercy and grace tells you, uh, but He can say that to me. Uh, I say to you, but He says, okay, buddy, I'll give you a little time. Then He comes knocking on the door again. And now you think, God, you know, there is a mortgage and just on the cusp of my career, it's, uh, I need to stay for college and it's a little busy. And this wife of mine, she's a bit demanding. And uh, my boss is even worse. And, uh, and do you know what? Really complicated. My wife is my boss. <laughs> Things get messy. And you're like, let me do this next time. And next time, you're like, I'm now the boss of my own company. And, uh, really busy, I've got so many things to do, can we do this tomorrow? And then, you're like, I would hate to be in that place where somewhere down the line, the Lord calls me, I go home and I go, Lord, here I am, God says, buddy, let's do this tomorrow. Because for the Lord, it is like a thousand years. And when he says tomorrow, I need to wait that long. Not sure I want that. But here's the point I'm trying to make, and it might seem funny, but the thing is this, when God calls, I'll be making excuses. I'll be ready. And folks, I'm not saying this to you. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying neglect your family. I'm not saying don't go and complete your education. Those are not what I'm saying. I'm saying this. I'm saying is God the priority? Perhaps Jesus is not as uh, diplomatic. And comes to him and says, what must I do? Just sell everything. Tell everything, come follow me. That's, 
that's not a great word to hear, particularly if you're like that kind of old, you know. But God, was God really expecting that? God was addressing a hard situation here. Because he recognized, Jesus recognized that this man's problem was his wealth. It stood in the way. Another man goes to him and says, let me bury my father and I'll come. He says, no, no, let the dead bury the dead. You come follow me. Folks, our priorities is what God is concerned about. And he needs that he be number one. He be number one. And the question is not God saying, lay it all down. The question is God's asking, are you willing to lay it all down? You might well be called to. You might well be called. But I am saying this. Not everyone is called to be a missionary. Not everyone is called into full-time eldership. Not everyone is called to plant a church. We don't all want to grab hold of this Christian mountain and huddle around it. No, we need believers. God needs you to fulfill your calling in your workplace. He needs you to fulfill your calling in the school, in the home in the supermarket. He needs you right where He has placed you because He has a mission for you and a mandate for your life. There's something unique that God has deposited in you as much as, as He has done with this man with you. But more than all of these things, more than the fact that, you know, He, uh, he protests. And God says, buddy, come along, I need you. He, he protests more than all of these things. He he does the classic Moses. Moses was his predecessor. So he's coming. There's Moses, there's Joshua, and then there's Gideon. And they've fought some interesting battles. They're different. The one is, we're in slavery, let's escape. Along comes Moses. The next one is, we need to fight a war just to get the promised land. Along comes Joshua. And now here's God saying, I need you to deliver your people from oppression. He's calling Gideon to and much like his predecessor did, he says, Lord, why me? I'm, I'm not that brilliant. Moses said, I stand, I can't go stand before Pharaoh. I'm not that brilliant. I'm not, uh, I'm not so articulate. I can't speak and present my case like such a thing. Some of us are still here. Good. Right? But, but he, he makes his own argument. He says, Lord, look at me. I'm from the tribe of Manasseh. We are the weakest among the tribes. And even then, in my father's house, I am the least. I'm the least. And so he makes his excuses. God makes a promise to him. And he says, Mate, I am with you. Do you know who else he made that promise to? Moses. Moses made his excuses. What was God's response? I'm with you. Joshua, trying to fill big shoes because now Moses has gone and it's his responsibility to take this tribe of reluctant people across into the promised land. And he's thinking, I have big shoes to fill. And God says, fear not, I am with you. And when Gideon has his excuses, God says, I am with you. Folks, are you hearing God say, I am with you? He is. In your workplace, in your homes, as a mom, a dad, a husband, a wife, a child, I am with you. I have called you to something unique. he didn't see himself first. But God sees him differently. How does he see himself? Smallest tribe, weakest in 
were re-described at the least in my father's household. But God addresses him and says, you mighty man of valor. We're looking at verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him. He's still in Judges chapter 6 and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. God did not see a man whose clan was the weakest. He did not see a man who was the least in his tribe. And I can guarantee you, however you see yourself, God sees you differently. He sees more. Because when God looks at you, when he looks at me, he sees potential. He sees this fusion of this man and my presence coming together and explosive power. Because he's put something in your life. He's put something in you. And he says, honey, I'm looking at that. I'm looking at what can be not what you think is. So whatever your reality is, whatever your circumstances are, when God calls you, He says, my presence with you is assured, my power is made manifest in your weakness. That's the promise of God. He saw deeper. And so the Lord says something like this to Gideon in verse 14. He says, the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of, uh, can you tell me whose power? Go in whose might? What does the scripture say there? Somebody speak to me. Go in this might of yours. You see that God has placed something, He's deposited something inside Gideon already and says, buddy, this is there. I have built this into you for this moment. I have placed this in your life because I want you to achieve something unique that you are called to do. And so I have deposited something in you. Go in this might of yours. There's something that God has deposited in your life today that has equipped you for something unique that God has called you to. And it might be as simple as just being the best husband in the world. And I said this in the morning, you can't have that because that title's already taken, just ask my wife. But there are other ones, there are others, there are others. I mean, yeah, Matt can't be the best wife in the world, I know that. Right? But there are others. He, he's an admin beast. He's, that's his gift. God has placed uh, some little calculator and a little computer inside it, and it drives me nuts. It's not my gift. It's his, and he thinks that I should be like that. God, I'm not. But, but that's it. That God has placed something unique in you that says, in this might of yours, he's prepared you. And with it comes this, that the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. There is that fusion of what God's placed in you along with the presence of God that just causes an explosion and you suddenly find yourself exactly where God wants you to be as long as we are ready to lay everything down as the Lord God here I am. We can make our excuses and God reminds us today I have put something in you. So that I will be with you. Something unique in the promise of God I will be with you. What a beautiful thing. Can you imagine how comforting that is? Can you imagine that in the midst, remember his circumstances, don't, in your mind, I don't want you to ever forget, at least for the next 10 minutes, where Gideon was. Because in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of trouble, in the midst of, well, feeling like we are nothing, they're always under attack, and, and the Bible describes their situation, it oversimplifies it to say that they felt very low. They were in a low place. That's how the Bible puts it. Man, what an understatement that the nation of Israel was in a low place. That's perhaps the understatement of the year because 
The description of their low places, they were hiding like animals in caves. They were hiding in the mountains, in dens, in, in caves, and they were trying their best to eat how to live in, in a hostile environment. That's their circumstances. Can you imagine when you are facing trouble, when you face a circumstance that is beyond your, beyond your capacity, when you face an enemy that seems far greater than you, that suddenly this thing drops into your life, I will be with you. Is it any wonder that God, that, that this revelation, the Lord is peace, just breaks into Gideon's life? Can you imagine that thing of, in the midst of your storm, God says, I am there. What a comfort that would be. This whole history, Throughout history, God has intervened in the face of man. Whenever we've cried out to Him, He steps in. But you know what He steps in? With another man. So whether it is the cry for freedom from slavery, God sends a man. There's a battle to be won. There's a fight for the promised land. Who does He send? Joshua. Israel being oppressed. Whom does He call? Another man. Gideon. God recognizes that you and I are in a place where we cannot save ourselves. So he sends another man, Jesus. You might very well be the man or the woman that God has called to something to do. Folks, I'm not trying to place anything on you here. All I'm telling you is this. God has deposited something in you. It is unique to you. It is unique to what he has called you to do. Are you willing? If he calls you today, is your heart in that place of saying, Here I am, Lord. I'm willing. Are we hearing God in the everyday, in the normal? Are we seeing God just busy at work, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our day-to-day encounters? Are we living with that awareness of God can come now? today who have the assured presence of God through the Holy Spirit living in us. Because God doesn't need to tell me I will be with you. I know He is with me. But shouldn't that shape my behavior? Shouldn't that shape the way I live life, that I live life large for His glory? That I live life to the fullest for His glory? Should I not be reflecting the goodness and love of God in everything I do? Simply because He's in me. Please with me. I like to think uh, for five minutes more, I'm going to leave a story out. But it's a long story, so I will leave it out. Let me get to the next thing, which is that all of this comes at a cost. There is a price. There is a cost. When God calls, he expects something of us. As we respond to the call of God, look at this. Let's take this apart very slowly. I'm reading from verse 17. Then same chapter, chapter 6. And he said to him, this is Gideon. Remember what I said, he was a cautious man. He didn't just jump to it first. He was a cautious man. He wanted to test this word from the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I know some people, as soon as there's a prophetic word, they're like, yeah, 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 I'm going this way. And it's the wrong direction. Test it. Make sure you got it right. If it is the Lord, you know. 
here's how Gideon responds. He says, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak to me. Remember, at this point, mighty man of valor, go save the nation of Israel. Let me know. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay until you return. This is just so incredible for me. Again, remember where Gideon is. Remember where he is, because as you read this, you'll see how important. So Gideon went into his house, prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock. Pour the broth over them and he did. So then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand, touched the meat and the unleavened cakes, and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. Do you see a throwback to Egypt here? Do you see that moment of the Passover? When God says, take a lamb, make unleavened bread, and we'll celebrate the Passover. Put the blood, the lintel, and the doorpost. Do you, you see the, the similarities here? What God is saying, there is something of sacrifice necessary to see and enjoy the deliverance of God. Whether it is the sacrifice of His own Son, Jesus, or in this instance, the sacrifice of the Lord. But the thing that I want you to see, it cost Gideon. It cost him, because you remember, things are getting stolen. The Midianites were still stealing stuff. For him, an ephah of flour and a goat was a big deal. He might have had to miss his meals for about a week just to do that one sacrifice. But he's willing to make the sacrifice to test the word of God. Then I need to know this is you. And so he adopts a posture of humility, of sacrifice, of worship, and says, let me bring this before you and then I will know whether it's true. And if you want to know whether the word of God for you it's true. If you want to test the word of God, can I say this? Adopt the same attitude as Gideon. Adopt a posture of humility and an attitude of worship and you will see God break into your life. You will see and hear clearly God saying this because when that man, that angel, touched the food and it burst into flames, what was the response of Gideon? Up to that point, dear sir, please sir, tell me sir. And at this point, as soon as that happens, this is his response. <coughs> Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Wow. Suddenly his eyes are open. Suddenly his eyes are open. And now he knows this is what God is calling him. No doubt. No hesitation. And there's a part here that really fascinates me. Look at this. The meat is consumed. And when this... This is what scripture says. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Now imagine, I'm standing here with Matt and I suddenly vanish. I'm slimmer than him. I mean, that's going to just cause a bit of a, there's something happening here. And if I've been saying some stuff saying this is from the Lord and I just vanish, then he's going to like, hey, that must have been the Lord. And so his response is, last of Lord. Beautiful thing is, now the angel has vanished, this is consumed, and then here's what it says, the next verse says, but the Lord said to him, how did that happen? The angel is gone, but the Lord said to him, and I can tell, I believe that there is the spirit of revelation that engages Gideon, and suddenly the Lord says to him, 
peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. Folks, I'm not even beginning to open this fully. I'm not even going into the whole thing of the deliverance of Israel here. I'm just looking at the whole idea that in the middle of our troubles, we can encounter the peace of God. In the middle of chaos, we can encounter the peace of God. We can. God can call us. God can assure us of His presence. Then He can commission us to something. And in the middle of that, regardless of your circumstances, you will find peace. Is it, is it unusual that Paul sitting in a Roman prison to write, rejoicing the Lord always? He encountered this word. The Lord is peace. And what's the cost in it? Outside of the fact that he's already probably sacrificed a week's worth of food in a goat and, and eat some flour. The Lord continues and says, take a bull, take your father's bull, and the second bull who is seven years old, that one might have been spared for this very reason, and go tear down the father's, the altar that your father has built to bear it. And the Asherah pole that's next to it. Tear it down. Tear it down. Use that to build me a new altar, and on that, kill that second bull, and sacrifice it to me. And people, this is what I mean about cost. First of all, God was telling Gideon, don't let the history prescriptive. Don't let the practices and the customs that you have come from prescriptive because I'm calling you to something new. Don't let this thing of, oh, this is how my father did it. This is the way it is done in my nation. These are, this is our custom. This is our tradition. Don't let those things restrict you. God is saying, I'm calling you to something new. And the second is saying, are you willing to lay down those things that might be yours? Remember that the bull represented their wealth. This was an agrarian community. This was an agrarian people. And their, their wealth lay in their cattle, in their sheep, in their, in their crops. That's where their wealth lay. And he might well have been sacrificing his inheritance as he sacrificed for all those bulls. It might be the one thing that his father had for him. They say, I'm willing to lay it all down. Just for the sake of saying, Lord, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. God calls us to declutter our lives. Get rid of the stuff that might hinder us from hearing His voice. Get rid of those stuff that sometimes prevent us from stepping into the plans and the purposes of God. And I don't know. I, can't, I dare not say I know what God's plans are for your life. Maybe He's calling you to plant a church. Maybe He's calling you to stand with the church for support it. Maybe He's calling you out as a missionary into the middle of nowhere. But perhaps you could say to me, will you not be my ambassador in your workplace? Will you not raise your kids, love your wife, in such a manner that the love of the Father is reflected through your behavior? Could it be as simple as that? Yes, it can. But I say this to you, even for us, to be good husbands, for you to be a good wife, God has placed a deposit within you. He says, I'm with you. Tap into that. Tap into that. And you will see yourself stepping right in the middle of exactly where God wants you to be. And there you will encounter this God who says of himself, 
of our lives, Lord, we that posture of surrender. And Lord, every day, every day, you Lord reveal yourself to us. You Lord reveal your will. Will you not reveal your, your purposes and our plans in us through us? Daily. Daily. Lord, walk into the fullness of what you call us every day of our lives. And one day, one day. That glorious day, Lord, when I see you face to face, I'm so looking forward to hearing you say to me, Well done, good and faithful servant. Father, bless your people. Bless them. Bless them. Bless them. Bless them. Lord, hold them. Draw them out today. Today, Lord, those that might be wondering what it is that you have for them, I pray, commissioning on their lives. Such a release of revelation over their lives, Lord, that they move from that place of please, sir. Uh, 